0: to another episode of the Hitchcock Minute. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1959 Alfred Hitchcock-directed thriller North by Northwest, one minute of screen time per episode. Uh, this week, I am Dave Forsyth. Well, every week, I'm Dave Forsyth.
1: And every week, I am Todd Lucas, except for next week, which I will actually be David Forsyth.
0: Uh, <laughs> I get a week off then? Yeah,
1: check the schedule, man. I took it.
0: Okay, all right, fine. You know, no, they don't give out tips when you're Dave Forsyth. No, that's fine. Okay, great. Um, I just didn't want you to be expecting anything. Anyway, we are the co-hosts of Edge of Tomorrow Minute. Is that right?
1: Basically, yes.
0: Yeah. So there's a few a future podcast about a future movie called Edge of Tomorrow uh, that we will talk about one minute at a, t- at a time. In the future. I'm doing, a, I'm doing a terrible job explaining this, but like. Okay, listen to this podcast. And this is what we're going to do for this movie, Edge of Tomorrow, but later.
1: You sound like a, a, a Mike Birbiglia joke. You know, I'm going to tell people about this later. That means you're the joke later. When?
0: <laughs> Just now. Damn it. All right, Bill. No. Oh, exactly. Spaceballs references. Anyway. Okay, well, let's, um, yeah, go to the Facebook. Look up edge of tomorrow minute, um, give it a like or a follow or however Facebook works, and um, someone will call you. I think not, not me. Ready? Is that right? (laughs) Not it. Got it. Okay, great. Anyway, let's uh, let's talk about minute sixty six of North by Northwest. It begins with Eve rattling off some very specific directions from Kaplan, and I'm doing air quotes on a podcast, but I have to tell you, I'm doing air quotes, Um, Kaplan. And ends with Thornhill handing over the baggage claim checks. So uh, Eve continues to lay out her plan, telling Thornhill that he's got to get on the Greyhound, Greyhound bus from Chicago two. to Indianapolis and at two to Prairie Stop Curry on Stop Highway Forty-One. 41. Um, he's to ask the driver to let him off. She says it's about an, it's hour, about and an hour and a half drive. drive so Thornhill says, "Oh, I'll just rent I'll a car." Rent a car. Uh, what did she just say? No car. Well, well, she said take the bus, but now he says he's going to rent a car. So she's got to reiterate. No car, no car. Mr. he said. said bus, bus because he wants, to be sure he wants to make sure he's coming alone, instead of with a busload of people. Anyway,
1: do you think she came up with that on the fly? I'd like to believe that she did, maybe because I like to think that Leonard's not quite that smart, but she is.
0: Yeah, I, I suppose that's entirely possible that she's she's a little better on her feet. But he stuffs the note, her note, with the directions into his suit pocket, his outer suit pocket, and he kind of. Puts his hand on her and kind of moves in, like for almost like he's going in for a kiss, right?
1: Well, like you do,
0: but uh, like you do. And Eve tells him that's not the plan. Talking about the car, but also maybe about the kiss. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, but yeah, she she tells him that Kaplan had specified a bus and wants to be sure Thornhill's alone. Thornhill asks what he's supposed to do. do Gets there, there. and the plan is for him to just wait by the side of the road. Um, And Kaplan will be there at three thirty. And Kaplan will recognize Thornhill because Kaplan was, or sorry, Thornhill was also in the Chicago papers for his murder. And she, I believe she says Chicago Chicago papers papers instead of the Uh, Chicago papers. And I dislike her pronunciation right at this particular moment. Um, Whereas, you know, normally I find her speaking voice to be very pleasant, but Chicago is not, that's not hmm. how it's said. Sorry.
1: Any idea uh, what uh, accent normally says it wrong?
0: That's a good question. I, I mean, I've heard lots of people from Wisconsin say it wrong. Mm. Um, I think they do it out of spite.
1: That's what I was wondering. Is, is there somebody that's kind of like the natural enemy of the Chicagoan?
0: Yeah, that's it's, it's Wisconsin. Well, pretty much everyone that borders Illinois um, is, well, except for <laughs> Iowa, nobody really cares. But the, the the Indiana and the Wisconsin are both sort of.
1: I'm from Missouri, and we so. have problems with uh, folk you know near the river in Illinois. Uh, but uh, we don't have any problems with people right. from Chicago. None at all.
0: Right, right. It's it's not the Chicagoans. Yeah, right. It's it's a different river, right? So, at this point, Eve asks if he's set watch his watch for Central, Central Time. time. Yes, I did He thanks that. her for the reminder um, and that he's already done it. And I know what's going through your head right now. You're saying, but isn't Indiana on Eastern time?
1: I wasn't thinking that, no.
0: And if... <laughs> oh, are you sure? Um, but... And then if he leaves at 2 and it takes 90 minutes, won't he be an hour late if Kaplan arrives at
1: 3.30? Probably she didn't get that because the scriptwriter didn't get that.
0: Well... It's all a all trick right. here, I'm, and I'm, I'm here to lay it out for you. Um, <laughs> most of Indiana is on Eastern time. Um, the eight counties that remain, uh, the eight counties near Chicago in Indiana remain on Central time. And if he's only going 90 minutes from Chicago by bus, he'd most likely be in one of those eight counties. Because um, Highway 41 does extend beyond those counties, but it would take well over two hours, uh, even with no traffic. And on a modern interstate system to get more than to, to get out of the central time counties if you're going along Highway 41. So there you go.
1: I see. So you've got it all figured out.
0: Well, I have one more tidbit though. All of this is moot because Indiana didn't adopt Eastern time until 1961.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: So well, it's just all fluffery. I just had to, I like yeah. talking about time zones. Sue me. You
1: have insider information anyway.
0: Welcome to time zone time zone minute or Mm -hmm. Chicago minute. Yeah. Yeah. Something. So, um, (laughs) so, okay. So they've sorted out the details of his trip and then, um, some sort of mournful goodbye music starts to play and Thornhill begins to look a little more concerned and the, the shots go from that waist high profile shot of the two of them to a series of over the shoulder shots. So. Well, you'll be looking over Thornhill's shoulder at Eve, and then over Eve's shoulder at Thornhill. And um, so he asks her, "What's, What's the, matter? the matter?" She says, "Matter." matter. Um, and she's sort of confused and seems genuine about it. <laughs> I don't know; it's hard to tell with her, right? Like she's <laughs> she she's a good right. con, so everything seems genuine, right? Unless you get her in those in between moments where you she's alone and you you catch some of her reflection, but. Yeah, Thornhill then says, "You seem, yes, you seem, no, you seem I don't know, you seem tense. And you seem tense." And she says, "You'd better go before cap. the police run out of red caps." And she's she's getting more fidgety now, and doesn't really like these questions. <laughs> um, and uh, Thornhill persists. He says, "We'll see, see each other totally again, again, won't we?" we? Well, actually, I, he doesn't even say it like a question. Like I proposed it like a question, but he says it more like, "We'll see each other again, won't we?" No, I can't even say it the way he does. He was, <laughs> you can't. No, he's making a statement, right? Uh, like the words are a question, but the way he says it, it's—it's it's definitive that they will see each other again. He's confident about that.
1: You just not Cary Grant, dude. That's the main problem. Yeah. He can pull it off, <laughs> right? And neither you nor I can do it. So
0: he's got the innate confidence to say questions like statements about pretty blonde ladies. So, but yeah. So she's she replies uh, sometime, sometimes, I'm sure, and he says, you know, he's, she's trying to separate them and he wants to, to to have some closure or future plans with her, right? And so uh, he says that I he's never, never had a moment, moment to thank, to thank, thank properly. her properly, please and then she just too. says it. She just says, please go, right? And then he says, yes, but where will, but I, where find will I find you? And I've she says, I've got to pick up my bags now. And she's, she's very effusive at this point. Um, and he sort of, well, I don't know if he it doesn't seem like he's getting the the gist of it. It seems like he just suddenly remembers that he's got these her baggage check tickets in her hand in his hand, and he he starts handing them over. So these are for the
1: the nice. large bags. These are the checks for the, the large cases. Know,
0: the, would be carted off the train, not carried by the red caps. So checked bags, if you will. Yeah, I mean they're very in very different places at this point. He's very much wanting to have definitive future with her, you know, who knows what that would be, but you know, to have at least a way to contact her again or some sort of meeting set up. And she could easily lie to him and just say, Oh yes. You know, after you see Kaplan, find me here and, uh, and just never be there. Right. But she, yeah,
1: she seems to have a a certain amount of innate honesty left to her. She just, she, she can't commit to that big of a lie. Right. Cuz she's she she's pretty sure she knows what's about to go down and she's trying to disengage. You know, that's the way she that's her defense mechanism because she, you know, cares for him at least as much as you would care for any other human being who has shown kindness to you. She's, I don't know, seems to be falling back into into patterns to keep herself safe.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean everything from like sort of cutting off his his physical advances is is you know, lighten. Sort of. Um, he's not. He's not being a real pushy guy. He's just, you know, getting a little handsy, maybe. You know, so she's she's rebuffing that, and and also just rebuffing anything that sounds like future, and and just yeah. See, so she's, I think, trying to protect herself as much as him. Maybe. I mean, I'm probably reading into that, knowing him. what their future is going to be, but you know, she's trying to keep herself from from feeling too much for this guy who's the mark right
1: and i I think it's mostly about her because i don't think i think the reason why she's upset is she unless she does something right now she knows she can't help him and she's too deep in with what what she's doing to be able to stop and, and help him now it would jeopardize too much she's making you know a different judgment call as we'll find out later
0: right right because he's not in an immediate danger right here right right so she's. You're right. So I, you're right. It's it's more about her. It's not protecting him from something. She's not trying to get him out of here right now to protect him from a something bad that's going to happen to him right here. So it's definitely, yeah. It's definitely a her own shields that she's that she's preserving right. here.
1: It, you know, she's probably worried that if she lets this go on even a little bit longer, that she would find herself just going along with him. You know, whatever he asks for, or whatever he wants, just because. If this hadn't been some sort of espionage setup, sort of situation, she might have done that in normal life.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, he is a handsome fellow. So, well, you know, it's Cary Grant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think you and I, we should probably pay the our dues in the Cary Grant fan club. I mean, I'd, I'd never seen very many movies with him in it. But I mean, obviously, I'm aware of who he is, but he's definitely a, a charming yeah. guy. After you even you watch him minute by minute over these few minutes and it's uh,
1: yeah. Well, mostly my experience with him has never been full movies. I don't think I could even actually name movies of his, but I spent a lot of time at grandma and grandpa's house and they had <laughs> a lot of the movies that were playing over the weekend. you know, just had the TV on in the background and it would always be. Stuff with this guy's mug on it, so that the voice is is super familiar. Be able to pick him out of a crowd by just by looking at his face, and I still wouldn't be able to name a single movie other than this one that he's been in.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, it's, I mean, you're you're not the walking IMDb, so, so no, yeah.
1: no, I was too young to even care. I was like, oh, it's a movie. Huh? Who's that guy? Oh, well, they talk funny, don't they?
0: All right, back <laughs> to playing. <laughs> Well, I sure would hate to see anything bad happen to him. Oh yeah, that would be terrible. All right. Anything else exciting about this minute or not exciting? I guess you can go.
1: We were talking about the layout of the station before. And uh, in this one, Mm -hmm. when you're, when you get into the, the over the shoulder shots between the two of them, when you're looking over Eve's shoulder, you can see down the escalator quite a bit more. So it, this is definitely a real living building somewhere had to have been.
0: Yeah. I think you're probably right. This, this, this would have been a very large set to build. It's not like you're building the, the study no. in somebody's mansion. You know, it, this is, this is, this would be too much. And you're
1: already paying um, for Cary Grant to be in your movie. Why would you throw down, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to build this thing?
0: Right. When, yeah, it's when somebody already built it.
1: Exactly. For you, right? you could just borrow it for a day.
0: Yeah. So LaSalle street station was one of the the big stations in Chicago at this time. I think there were, like six or seven main stations. And this was back before Antrap Amtrak consolidated train services. And so pretty much every train line across country had to have a space to come into that it either owned or rented from somebody locally. The South street station housed the New York central railroad, which is what the train that they came in on as part of is they, they wrote it at 20th century limited, which they actually, uh, I saw several reports that they actually rolled out a red carpet for passengers. I think on the nighttime train back to New York, got the red carpet. I don't think they had it coming off here in the morning. So that's maybe why we didn't see it earlier.
1: That would have been a distraction, I think.
0: Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, they, the trains did come in to, they came in from the south into sort of a long train yard and they they did come into what would be the second level so i don't know if if they came in on true ground level and there were stairs up into there but essentially the the trains come into the waiting room which would be on the second level of the building and luggage check and ticketing and things like that were on the first floor and there was actually direct access from this second level like if you if you went out the north side doors of the station you could get directly onto the l train i think it was. The Ravenswood Line, or what we would call the Brown Line uh, these days, which sort of slowly meanders up the the west side of of the city into into the north. So it probably it wouldn't be terribly uncommon for you know somebody to to take the train in here and then take another train further uptown. The other train that came into the station was called the Rock Island Line, which is a more Central or a more localized to Chicago commuter line. It's not really that interstate line, but I think New York Central Railroad were, were the people that owned this one. And this station, as we see it here, actually is like the third version of it. There were a couple of smaller ones, and then there was one that burned down in the Great Chicago Fire in oh gosh, eighteen eighty something, and it was quickly rebuilt after that. And but that one. Was kind of a shoddy one that was quickly rebuilt. So this new one that opened in 1903 right. and hung around for almost 80 years. It looks like it was demolished in 1981, but a lot of the tracks remain and the station area of the building is now the um, or the Midwest Stock Exchange building. So that that it still kind of hangs out there around the, the the track area. But it was a big 12 story building steel frame office building so it was you know the ground level and the second floor were consumed by the trains but then everything up up above that was was office buildings. so the movie the sting was also filmed had parts of it filmed here in 1971 which would have been right before the amtrak consolidation essentially killed the usefulness for the south street station as it exists and it it hung around for another 10 years where the Rock Island line was really it's only resident and them being a small commuter line didn't really bring in the money to to keep it in in repair so the the train shed that it's called where the trains actually come into the station had and actually at one point had a big sort of half domed glass roof over it and apparently that was in pretty bad repair at the end of its life and they actually just knocked all the glass out of it at one point so it was essentially uncovered but yeah after Amtrak came in. The New York Central railroad lines all came uh, started going into Chicago's Union Station, which is the last of the the big luxurious stations in Chicago. Really, the you know the last of remaining of of the them there. There really aren't a ton of you know. There's some Amtrak traffic that comes in and out of there, and a lot of commuter train traffic that that comes in and out, in and out of there. But you know, it doesn't really serve the same purpose that it did back then. So wow uh,
1: it's a storied history. I would never have imagined that that had been around in the nineteenth century at least in some yeah. form
0: yeah it's uh it was sort of the there's there's a train yard i don't know maybe a three or four miles south of there that is sort of was one of the big junction yards for for the city and you know most things coming in to the city would either be coming from The West, even if you were coming from the East, you can't, the trains don't come through the lake. Right. So they they come in from the South. So it it was actually handling handling a lot of traffic because you had your major, you you had a lot more people living in the East than (laughs) they would be coming into Chicago than you would have coming from the West. So the majority of the traffic was coming in through that very centralized station. Um, So it was uh, apparently a pretty, pretty busy place. So
1: right and that would explain why it gets into movies so much at least back in the day because i mean that's the the place that you would expect to actually get into chicago from
0: yep and you know hitchcock liked his uh his real settings so he he once he pretty famously (laughs) they were um oh gosh i don't remember what movie it was for it might have been for vertigo where he eh, no no i don't think so anyway i don't remember exactly what movie it was now but the The story goes that they were banned from filming in the lobby of the u n building, but they wanted something that was set in the in the u n building and uh
1: dude, that's this movie that's this movie
0: holy shit. that's like the sorry'll I'll, I'll, I'll uh, edit that out too. <laughs> <laughs> there was uh yes, you're right that was the, <laughs> that was this movie, but that's also the second time I've confused vertigo for North by Northwest for some godforsaken mm. reason anyway um yeah, so they were banned from from filming in the lobby of the UN. So Hitchcock got permission to go in, or a photographer got permission to go in, and Hitchcock went in with him and subtly directed him of where to take photos so that when they built their set that replicated the lobby of the UN, it was down to like very exacting details. So you know, sort of had a, a thing for for realistic, either real or realistically realized sets i don't i don't know why i said it like that but
1: yeah it's just crazy because you know he had a had a thing for not being allowed in places and then still doing it anyway
0: (laughs) how dare you keep me out i'm doing that weird cowboy yeah (laughs) definitely cowboy hitchcock (laughs) all right i do like the uh stainless steel locker banks though i over oh yeah uh, over eve's shoulder that's they look like you're gonna open them up, and there's gonna be food in them, um, like hot food. So maybe I'm hungry right now. I don't. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> Welcome to Food Locker Minute. <laughs> God. What did they call those things? The uh, the restaurants where you would it was like a bank of vending booths, oh, uh, vending mats.
1: Like a, yeah, a vendum. Uh, uh, yeah, an automat.
0: Automat. Thank you. Right, you could just put in a quarter and open the door, and a sandwich would would be there waiting for you. Uh, That sounds like fun. Good times. Yeah. I was going to make a joke about food behind the door, but we'll save that for something else. Or not. Maybe we'll just forget about it. Okay. Mm. (laughs) So you can find the Hitchcock Minute podcast on Apple Podcasts and Google Play or at the main site, HitchcockMinute.com. You can connect with us and all of the other hosts of all of the other Minutes on social media at The Man on Washington's Nose, on Facebook, and on Twitter at Hitchcock Minute. Join us for Minute 67 of North by Northwest tomorrow on Hitchcock Minute. Goodbye, Mr. Thornhill, wherever you are.